Alright, it's Friday, November 3rd, 2017, the start of November. Prostate awareness for all you men out there. And women, please ignore the ugly mustaches that grow this month. Today we start out with a little bit of snow. Love to give a little shout out to the winter coming. And a shout out to the birthday boy who is the original kneeler, Colin Kaepernick. Today's guest is Joanna Garitano. Did I say that correct, Joanna? That's good. Awesome. You are here to talk a little bit about what you've started with this nurture healing. I know you from way back when your son was taking some gross motor skills classes from me and I uh, appreciate the friendship we've had ever since. And I want to tell everybody that uh, Joanna was an ER doctor for, for a very long time and now she's um, preaching the ways of plant-based medicine, food as medicine. Can you tell me what made you have this shift in careers? Yeah, sure. You know, sometimes shifts in our lives come um, unplanned. And I think this was, this for me, this was an unplanned shift. I um, started out in medicine uh, over 20 years ago and, you know, had the intention of uh, doing ER medicine, you know, without you know, I didn't have a plan to necessarily shift into wellness work, but um, about seven years ago, I actually developed some of my own health challenges. And um, and while I used the traditional medical approach to treat my symptoms and, and deal with my own health challenges, which for me was uh, autoimmune illness, it uh, it helped my my overall symptoms, but I still kind of felt like a shell of myself. And so I started looking into wellness, like what were the things I could do to not only treat my illness, but what were the things that I could do to actually nurture wellness in my body? And when I started asking that question in particular, I started looking into the science, looking into the research. What are the things that we can do that really make a difference in our health, wellness, recovery, um, especially in the face of, of uh, illness? And, uh, and so I started out on that trajectory. And um, since then, I've done um, quite a bit of training, you know, in around the country, just looking at what are the factors that really impact recovery and healing in the body. And, uh, and, and specifically, the, the one question that really stuck with me was some people who develop autoimmune disease or cancer or heart disease or other chronic illnesses, some people actually do really well in the face of these illnesses. And sometimes the body even recovers. So what are they doing? And that's why you know, I wanted to know what the science was behind that. What was your first aha moment? Like, this is really working for me. You know, what really, the one of the real ahas that I had was when I really started to shift my perspective around it as opposed to being passive and thinking, well, what are the treatments or medicines that can be done to me or given to me? I started thinking more about, well, what are the things that I can do to serve wellness in my body? It's almost like as if our body, my body, was, you know, something like a garden, right? It's like a natural, live, dynamic thing. And it's like if my garden was 
not doing so well, perhaps it needed, you know, to be the soil needed to be tended to and the thinking about the sunlight, thinking about getting the weeds out, you know, like doing those kind of things. Like, wh- how could I actively engage with aligning with wellness? And that's the way I like to think about it. What could I do to align with wellness? Because we can't always control the outcomes, but we can align ourselves the best we can so that wellness is more likely to occur. Um, mindfulness. I've found mindfulness in the last year or so, and it's been super important for me. I don't know why, um, other than it, it works for some reason. Yeah. Just taking a moment just to breathe, and it's such a simple thing to do. Um, can you tell me about your experience with mindfulness and, and what you know about it? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, you know, use it as, I consider it like a pillar of wellness. You know, I think about pillars of wellness and mindfulness to me is a critical, fundamental pillar of wellness. And the reason I think of it like that is because there's so much that we do in our lives that's autopilot, right? Yes. And, and mindfulness brings us into the moment in a way that helps us engage actively with what the way we're living our lives. I mean, even simple things like with the way we're holding our body in space. Are we slouched in the chair? Is my, are my shoulders tight? Am I, you know, do I feel tense? When I become mindful about, well, what is my body doing? Then I can kind of think, oh, Maybe, maybe I can hold my body in a way that is not as tense, you know, is not as um, strained. So that's just one example. But mindfulness can be used to like the, for the way we engage with our thoughts, the way we're even engaging in our emotions, as well as the way we're engaging in patterns of behavior in our life. Once we become mindfully aware, it's almost like we have a witness that can see, oh, wow, here I am engaging in whatever the behavior is, X or Y or Z. And, and then we can take the steps that help us to align with what we are intending, align with our intention, or align with what we're looking for more easily. Yeah, well said. I know I'm trying to practice a little bit of what I'm preaching too in, in wellness, uh, uh, mindfulness, excuse me. When I speak to my son, yeah, does my body language match my intent of what I'm trying to express to him? Because they pick up on the subtle cues, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the teacher, the, the mom, the dad, whoever is speaking to them, are they speaking to them on a conscious level, um, a fair level? Are they speaking down or are they asking them in in a way to obey obey them or just trying to get my mindfulness to be exhibited to the person I'm speaking to. You know, I'm, I may have all these terrible thoughts right now, but I want to express the right thought the right way. And mindfulness is, is a way of doing that. And once you become conscious, then you start setting up in your chair, like you say, a little bit. Um, you're not slouching. You catch yourself yourself. And I and I believe, I mean, I have this a belief around it that mindfulness is a way for us to really look at some of what's going on in the world today and address some of the challenges that we face 
from a powerful place as opposed to a reactive place. So it's so easy to knee-jerk react, right, or go on autopilot in our lives. But, but when we become mindful, it helps us to be more in our center so that when we are looking at challenges like parenting or challenges like you know, things that we face in the environment, you know, with environmental destruction or things with our own body, with health challenges, then we can be more grounded in the way we're approaching those challenges and and um, really find a way to connect with, you know, our highest self around what we want to see happen as opposed to some knee-jerk reaction. Or reacting out of fear, right? You know, because yeah. that's oftentimes you get triggered and you react out of fear, and you know, and, and as defensive. a and defensive, and you know, it, when we become mindful and we okay, I'm feeling a little bit afraid, but who I want to be in this situation is is this? You know, I want to be, I want to, I want to exhibit, you know, compassion and love, you know, instead of fear. And and so it helps you to really stay grounded. It's the first step. Yeah, I'm trying to add more empathy mm. in my life. And mm-hmm. It's kind of difficult because on a surface level, you take people for who they are without even knowing what's going on in their day. Yeah. So if you're a little bit more mindful and show that empathy, that you can consider other people's feelings better. Yeah. So mindfulness is almost like a medicine to you. Oh, mindfulness, yeah. I, I I do. I consider it like a pillar of wellness. I call it mindfulness. And in fact, in the, the programs that I do, I call it mindfulness as medicine. So how to use mindfulness, tools of mindfulness to help yourself align with wellness. Tell people what you think the difference between meditation and mindfulness is. Mm, yeah. For me, you know, when I think about it, I think um, mindfulness is something that you can practice actually all your waking hours. You know, whereas meditation is a, a moment or moments or a time that you set aside for stillness. So meditation is um, where you actually train your mind and you might have a sitting practice, you know, for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or for some people longer, where they actually train their mind to um, let go of those thoughts and then come back to a practice of either a mantra or a movement meditation or even um, focus meditation of, of having a certain focus. And as a part of that, you might be recognizing thoughts that are arising and letting those thoughts go and coming back to your practice, your meditation practice. But mindfulness is something that you could use throughout your day. So it may be at the grocery store. And for example, my one one of my classic examples for myself is is um, you know, I spent so many years as an ER doctor, right? So I was I was rushing and things were an emergency when I'm in the ER. But I would go <laughs> right? That's, it, right? that's it. But I would go to the grocery store and be buying cucumbers as if it was an emergency. I mean I'm like, okay, get these in the cart and we gotta go and you know and, and I'm like, wait a second. Why am I so, you know, tense at the grocery store? And that's a mindfulness that helped me to see it, helped me to recognize it, helped me to be gentle with myself around it, and then choose an ulterior, an ulterior way of being, you know. And, and that, that mindfulness practice, it, the same thing is true, if, you know, 
around emotions. And, you know, like oftentimes um, something would happen and, you know, for example, with my husband, you know, and some, he'd say something and I'd kind of feel reactive. I'm like, well, I wonder why I'm feeling so angry. And that's mindfulness that just brought my awareness to I'm having a reactive moment. Do I need to have this moment or could I choose a different reaction, right? And so, or a different way of being. And that's, I think, the difference between mindfulness is mindfulness can be practiced all day. And meditation, I think, is more of a time that you practice stilling your mind to be more effective. Um, how, do, how do you get thoughts out of your head? I know some, sometimes I have a great difficulty sleeping because mm-hmm. too much stuff is running through my head. And then my sleep isn't good because I'm constantly late to that class. Do you ever have that reoccurring dream mm-hmm. that you're you're late to fourth period or whatever, mm-hmm. college paper isn't done or the dog ate the homework, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You have that stress repeating while you sleep and you don't wake up fresh. What are some of the ways to just clear your mind? Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the ways, one of the benefits of meditation because meditation is that you see those thoughts and and for me i find it like oh i see you okay you're a thought that i'm having thank you for visiting i'm gonna let you go because i know you'll come back at some point and right now i'm just gonna focus on my breath right and and i've actually done a practice with my son who for a a period of time had some um, challenges sleeping. And we actually do that mindful awareness of the body as opposed to being, because a lot of us walk around and we're just in our heads all the time, right? Yeah, it's disgusting sometimes. Yeah, you're just like, I'm just so trapped in my head. So that is a classic example, trying to fall asleep and then the thoughts doing this and then, you know, you're thinking about that and then you're, you know. So one of the ways is to really get centered in your body. And so to, to just really focus on where your feet are and I'll, and I'll, where let's, where my feet are alive right now. They're, you know, I can feel them and then I'll just, let me relax those feet. Right. And then I'll just gradually move up. And I find that that gives my mind something to do. My mind needs something to do. That's what our minds there. It's like a checklist, right? Yeah. Like they serve us. They serve us with thinking, but sometimes they're going overboard. So when we need to sleep, it's just give my mind something to focus on. Let it focus on my relaxing, you know, different parts of my body and serially relaxing the body. And also kind of grounding into like, okay, my breath, this moment, this moment of being alive and really allowing the body to relax into that time of now of being alive and letting my mind let go of, of the, the path, you know, the, the wayward path that it's on and being back into now. Yeah, I'm back. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I think there's certain ways to release endorphins throughout your body and um, joy is one of them and I know you talk about joy in your practice just putting on a smile sometimes changes my mind mm. like if I think of something awful like a death or something I smile about that person instead mm. trying to shift that thought process mm-hmm. Can you tell me how important it is to be happy as a as a healthy person? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, 
people sometimes get a little um, wrapped up in I've got to be happy, right? And and I think that that we can do ourselves a disservice by not allowing ourselves to process some of those more challenging emotions like anger or sadness or, you know, frustrations, because those things all have a place too. And as long as we're not papering over those emotions with, well, just smile, be happy and put on, you know, like put on a um, cover or suppressing those emotions. A facade. A facade, you know, then I think it's um, because then that doesn't serve us. On the other hand, I think that we spend a lot of our time both in our head, like we were just you know talking about, and also busy that we forget to let ourselves connect to joy because joy is everywhere. Joy is around us. And the practice of this isn't necessarily suppressing sadness or suppressing other emotions, but it rather is an active process of how can I cultivate greater joy in my life? And what you what you were talking about, how um, even smiling makes you feel better, because even smiling actually triggers the release of endorphins in your body. Laughter triggers the release of endorphins in our body. You know, just experiencing moments in nature triggers endorphins in our body. And what's beautiful about that is that endorphins not only help us to feel good, you know, we know that they, they release pain, you know, they reduce pain and they help us to feel better, but they also communicate with our immune cells. You know, we've got wow. receptors on different cells that actually get the messages from, our, from endorphins and help the body to be in a, a more balanced state. So this, it's powerful you know, to, to practice ways to, to connect to joy. Because each of us, we, you know, there are some similarities to things that bring humans joy. But some people get it in doing arts or creativity. Other people through athletics. Other people through, you know, social things or, you know, whatever. But it's connecting to that which makes you feel alive. Boy, there's, there's some pretty powerful healing that can happen even not only on a physical level, but also on a emotional, um, spiritual level, when you connect with that which makes you feel most alive. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that I'm trying to do now is be present in the moment. Yeah. You know, there's the old adage, stop and smell the flowers. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm smelling flowers nowadays. Yeah. I'm present. I'm here with you. I'm making eye contact. I'm yeah. smiling when you're smiling. I feel good when you feel good. It's Yeah. Joy is underrated and under-talked about, and um, it's, let's go be joyful. Yeah. Not just well, on a Christmas card. Exactly. And, and, and what you just said about being present now, because that's, that's the power of it. It's like a lot of times when we're in our heads, we're in some other past or you know, future moment. We're not here now. But when we connect to now, we can often find something to be grateful for, something to be you know, joyful about some way of feeling alive now. And that's, that's really, I think, helping ourselves stop and have those moments regularly throughout the, the day. It helps us connect to that balance in our nervous systems, as well as releasing endorphins, as well as, you know, helping our bodies to be protected from harmful effects of stress. 
I went to a drop-in yoga class one time. You know, I had a punch card, and we walked in there, and there was all kinds of chanting going on, and I had never done chanting while doing yoga, which was kind of interesting, and it, it made me feel much different in that experience. But then the instructor went into laughing yoga. Yeah. And I was like, no way. I'm not doing that. That's that's stupid. I'm not going to do it. And then I'm just about to just take off and go, this this person's whacked. And then the first person started laughing. And then the instructor was encouraging, no, it's much funnier than that. It's so funny. It's the funniest thing you ever heard. And by the end of the the session, it was like an hour and a half. I had laughed for like 20 minutes. Not only was my stomach hurting from all the laughter, I walked out of there having like a spiritual experience. Like I felt so good. Then I walk out, there's light rain and immediately the cell phone rang and a car honked and another person peeled out and I was like, okay, it's over. But for that 90 minutes, so much joy and so many endorphins yeah. came through. It's amazing. Yeah. Do you do you do yoga? Yeah, I do. And and in fact, I love the. I talk about that idea of laughter as well because I actually used that a lot in my own health and recovery. Like I would even be in the car and I would just you know take moments of just let me just fake laugh, you know, because they've the researchers around this have actually found that even fake laughter. Yeah. Helps to release it those works. endorphins. It really does, you know. So, and, and in fact, there's a there's a pretty um, well known author by the name of Norman Cousins who wrote a book um, many years ago called The Anatomy of Illness. And he actually there's a there's a center at UCLA now that's um, called the Cousins Center. Um, and and um, because they look at the effects of this mind body experience of how. Um, Things that we are experiencing are affecting the health and wellness of, and recovery of our bodies. But he had a pretty significant illness, and he used laughter as one of the tools to promote recovery in his body because of exactly what you're talking about, that release of endorphins, that which really it floods your system, and it helps your body to feel better, which releases, you know, helps to reduce pain, which is, of course, great when you're struggling with some a health challenge that involves pain but it also helps to rebalance your nervous system and it helps to boost your immune function in a way that is not inflammatory you know in a way that actually helps you fight infections helps you fight cancer and there's a lot of studies that have been done on laughter and laughter yoga and laughter groups that actually show that there can be some improved outcomes in chronic illness for people who practice that what kind of things do you do to relax, or what kind of things do you suggest uh, to relax for relaxation? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, everybody's unique, you know. Like different people relax in different ways, but I think that um, one, I think it is good to have a practice of. Uh, meditation, because it does help you recognize when your mind is off on those tangents, going off on those tangents. But I think the most important thing is really to connect to your joy. You know, that helps your body to to really relax, you know, and, 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 um, and that is, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to look different for different people. But in the world that we live in today, it's it's 
our nervous systems are so out of balance, right? Like we have in our bodies this um, thing called an autonomic nervous system, which is different than your brain and your spinal cord and your your um, nervous system that makes your arms move or your body run or your self-think. Your autonomic nervous system connects to all of your organs. And it basically tells your heart, your stomach, your eyes, you know, all of your organs how to function. And so there's really two branches of that. The one is called the sympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system. I'm missing that one, I think. That one? It's, it's, well, it's, it's the one. It'll say it'll be your – instead of like sympathy, it's more like it tells your body fight or flight, right? So this branch, when it gets triggered, it's like when you see a tiger in the room – that, you know, your heart, you get that heart rate, you know, um, increase and your body's like, uh-oh, like I got to get out of here, right? And and now what we're finding is that this part of the nervous system is overactive in so many of us living in the modern world. So in 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 the nature of our bodies, it's supposed to become activated when we see a threat. And then it's supposed to come turn off. And then the other branch of the nervous system is supposed to be engaged. And that's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that part is our rest, digest, and heal part of the nervous system. So we either have fight or flight or we have rest, digest, and heal. So if we think most of us in our society now are on fight or flight a lot, yeah, And what we're seeing is it, you can actually hear a lot of people talking about, well, stress is making a lot of people's chronic illnesses worse, right? Well, why is that? It's because of this imbalance in our nervous systems. The body, when it's in fight or flight, it's going to have, you know, the the turn off our healing capacity, it's going to, well, not off, but it's going to turn it down so it's less effective. It's going to kind of suppress it. It's going to turn down our digestive processes so that we can't digest and absorb food as well. And it's going to turn on this. It's going to even make our blood more able to clot. And it makes sense logically because if there's a tiger and you got bit, your body's going to try to clot that. But the problem is what's the number one killer in the United States is heart disease, which is from clotting in our blood, right? Clotting in our blood vessels. And so we think that this this chronic stress actually has a physical effect in our body. So when you ask the question, how important is relaxation? What are ways to relax? It's to bring back the balance that is supposed to be there in our bodies by reactivating or or strengthening that rest, digest, and heal part of our nervous systems. And when we do that, we bring our bodies into better balance. We improve our digestion. We improve our healing capacity in pretty profound ways. And so that um, how to do that is is both to help turn off that stress response and to exercise, to actually exercise our relaxation response. And I don't mean by like physical exercise, so that does help to balance our system. I mean by also allowing ourselves appropriate time to relax, to relax. Is it possible a person has is missing one of those components at all? And does that adversely affect their health? 
it's it's not possible to be missing it. Like everybody's wired, the way our nervous system is wired is that each organ is innervated by both parts of that nervous system. But what happens like any muscle that you exercise, like if you went to the gym and you just did bicep curls, your biceps are going to get bigger, but pretty soon your arm's going to be out of balance, right? Because your tricep kind of gets a little weaker and, and it's, your muscles are going to start to pull funny on the joints and the bones. Well, the same thing is kind of true with the nervous system. If we're exercising that fight or flight response all the time, that part of our nervous system actually becomes pretty strong and it actually starts to overfire, which is evidenced, you know, by right now, you see a lot of people who get, um, find it necessary to take medications to sleep, find it necessary to take medications to relax, all this stuff, right? Because they're trying to stop that, that sympathetic outflow, which is sympathetic as part of that fight or flight outflow. And that parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and digest and heal nervous system becomes sort of weakened or atrophied. And now we're even seeing people who have pretty profound digestive problems just from that imbalance where there's something actually that's called gastroparesis, where the stomach becomes paralyzed. The stomach stops working and it just, you put food in it, and stomach just sort of sits there. People can't move the food appropriately through their, their systems. Part of that may be this imbalance in the nervous system. And um, and a lot of these people are actually treated with pacemakers in their stomachs to get their stomachs to contract. And and guess what else? Benzodiazepines to relax their nerves. So it's the you can get really really out of balance with your nervous system, and um, and actively rebalancing it is is important, especially in the world that we live in today. Yeah, I, I feel misinformed about um, medications. I was listening to a doctor on a podcast yesterday and he was talking about how the timing of the medicine, you know, with or without food, the time of day, the activity in your gut floral and the digestive system that only about 30% of medications work at the dosage because of the improper time that the patient will take that medicine. And then the doctors will prescribe a higher dose because mm. it's not helping. And then the dependency on the medication just continues to increase and increase. How do you feel about modern medicine? You were an ER, ER doctor, and I'm sure there was a lot of prescriptions going on when you were in the hospital. Um, how do you feel about medicine now as opposed to just treating ahead of time with with the exercise, the mindfulness, the relaxation, the joy, the food, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll have to say I think modern medicine has its place for sure. I mean, I've seen people's whose their lives are saved, you know, their their illness gets treated effectively and you know, really we have some amazing amazing benefits of our modern medical um, world, right? Like so many that um, so so there's a time and a place for medicine and there's a time and a place for um, treatment of illness for sure. It's I feel like we're just at this place now where we need to expand the way we practice medicine so that we're not just treating illness as a um, isolated event, 
but that we're actually thinking more about health and how do we grow health in people? How do we help people reestablish health? How do we help people um, cultivate that in their bodies? And that's sort of like, you don't want to throw away the baby with the bathwater, right? And, you know, with, with our modern medicines, some amazing, amazing advancements and, and um, treatments have been developed. So you don't want to let go of those. But we also sometimes can paper over things. You know, we can sometimes um, just treat symptoms and not empower people to, to make some of those lifestyle changes that can help them to um, become or, you know, grow greater wellness in their bodies. So it's a yes and. Yes, I think there's a place for modern medicine, absolutely. And we need to also be doing some of these other things to rebalance the way we're living so that we are healthier. You know, and we treat illness not just by treating things with medicine, but by also helping to plant those seeds that that help our bodies to reestablish wellness. Yeah, before we start talking about food, which is going to be a long conversation, I think, because... (laughs) I'm a bit of a foodie and I love it. Um, I want to take a quick second to thank my sponsors for the Bystander Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. Our podcast is brought to you by That's The Sum Pizza. Using a 120-year-old starter from the Klondike Gold Rush, they make unique sourdough crust that can't be found anywhere else in the world. That's the Sun Pizza also delivers wine and beer. Call 206-842-2292. Order online at thatsasum.com or download That's the Sun Pizza app on Android and iOS. Congratulations to the team of Alan Raymond and Will Grant who brought home the first place trophy from the recent Caputo Cup at the Pizza and Pasta Show in Atlantic City. Um, when it comes to your personal diet, what what makes up your food content? What do and, I eat? Yeah, what, what do you eat and why and when and... You know, are you kind of recycling the same type of foods or do you eat certain foods for certain reasons? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the way I think about food is that food is information for my body, right? Like every single day, my body is remaking itself with the building blocks that I give it through the food I'm well, that's eating. That's a great thought process. You know, so, so, and that, you know, when I really stop to think about it in my body and all of our bodies, we have something in the order of like, you know, maybe 30 to 100 trillion cells. So that's what scientists are estimating, right? Think about that. 100 trillion cells. It's phenomenal. But every single day, millions, if not billions of those cells are dying and millions, if not billions of those cells are being created. 
right? So the food that I give my body is the information, the building blocks that my body is going to use to rebuild itself. Yeah, it's like having a baby. You want to give it the best nutrients to, to grow, right? E- exactly. You're getting new cells every day. You need to water them. Yeah. You need to have an environment that they can survive in, and you need them to be fed well so they can grow and support your body. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and just to even give an example of that, it's like within the lining of my stomach and intestines, I have a whole new lining within a week to two weeks. Same thing with your skin. You have new skin. You know, within two to three weeks, you've generated a completely new skin. So it's like that's how fast your body is actually turning over. And certain organs do not turn over as fast, like our brain and our hearts are much slower to turn over. But even our blood, like our red blood cells, we make a whole new tank of red blood cells in three months. Our bones, within four to six weeks, completely, you remodel your bones, right? So, New marrow? Well, it's like this. It's like if you broke your bone— Right? Like, and the doctor puts a cast on your arm to, so that you can heal. How long does that cast stay on? Six weeks. Four to six weeks, right? So you remodel that. So even without that Im- brokenness, your body still has to remodel bone all the time. So it's constantly rebuilding it. It just doesn't have to do it in response to an injury, but it still does it at a, just a general turnover rate. Right? There's general turnover that's happening in the body. So food is that information. That's how I like to think about it. So I'm thinking about what do I give my body that is going to do two things. One, not muck up the processes because that's you know part of it. And two, help it to be most effective, help it to give the, the really the best building blocks that I can give it. So that's kind of the general way I think about it. There's some really profound ways to to think about food as being um, medicine for our bodies. And one is just to think that food is actually one of the safest and most effective forms of medicine. In fact, Anne Wigmore, who's who's done a lot of work on um, healthy diets, you know, she she has a quote that says, I think it goes something like, "Food is the most effective and safe form of medicine, or it's the slowest form of poison." And so we got to kind of think about that, you know, like food can be that powerful as information for our bodies. What kind of foods do you think poison the body? Because I, I recently gave up m- meat. I I'm not a, a vegan or a vegetarian, closer to a pescatarian. Um, I've given up meat and I've given up mostly dairy. I've had a little bit of cheese. I've dropped 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. I hate big factory farming and what it's doing to the animals. And then we're digesting that. You know, I, I really think that chickens and pigs and, and um, cows on that big, the big farms in America I think of that as poison in my body, and that's the type of food that's poisoning me for so many different reasons. Um, What are some of the foods that you think are toxic to the body and that we should kind of take a pass on? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question, and I think that um, there are are a couple ways to answer that. You know, one, and I really would want to think of it like this, is that foods that actually break down the, the um, p- 
processes of the body. Like there, for example, like trans fats, right? Like there are certain kinds of fats that are put in foods, like hydrogenated oils. There's trans fats in all um, frozen meals, right? No. So trans fats are just hydrogenated, are partially hydrogenated oil. So trans fats actually, when they get into your body, they actually impede the functioning of enzymes and destroy those enzymes. So that actually is a toxin. And in fact, the FDA has now said, yeah, we got to take that out of food. But yeah, you have 10 years to yeah, do yeah, so. You got 10 years, right? So so that's clearly a toxin, right, in foods. But that it, it's found in a lot of um um, fro- it's found in a lot of foods still. you just All you want to do is take a look at the label and look for hydrogenated oil or partially hydrogenated oil. That's a trans fat. What about like palm oil? Is that a... Palm oil is a little different. So that's from palm, like a palm tree, you know. And But that's, it's, there's some debate around, you know, how healthy that would be for our bodies to be able to eat it. So we, so we know trans fat is... is- Bad. Toxic. Yeah, right. And so so to think of How about some more common things that we may not know? Yeah. Yeah, so so thinking about it as when I think about toxins, you know, like it's there could be so um many different things um I guess the reason I'm hesitating on the question is because you know there's I could say sugar, right? I could say sugar because when you eat sugar in excess, it actually becomes inflammatory for the body and it impedes your ability of your body to function well. So the way I like to think about it is like foods that are chemicals, you know, like chemicals that are in foods, I should say. Chemicals that are in foods, things that are processed, you know, those are the kinds of things that cause damage to the body. Whereas foods that actually supply nourishment to the body – you know, are going to be, it's it's going to be the opposite of that. So I think what you're looking for is some specifics. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. is a walnut poison? Yeah, you know? yeah, no, right. No, it's so, healthy for the brain. Right, right. So, so I think about it as processed, a lot of processed foods. You know, it's a general blanket over things. But oftentimes, if you look at it, and it has yellow food coloring number five. If it has a number, a word you can't pronounce. Yeah, right. Or more ingredients than the length of your sleeve, Yeah, stay away from it. The chances are that there's something in there that your body's going to have some challenges with, right? Yeah. So so that's, you know, toxic, you know, is a is a pretty loaded word. But there are going to be chemicals in, in, in these pseudo foods that are not nourishing our bodies that are actually impeding the function of our proteins, enzymes, and cells in our body. Right. So I think about processed foods. The other thing you mentioned was, you know, animals that are um, uh, raised on improper diets and not given the proper movement of their own bodies. Their their tissues become kind of inflamed. And then what turns around when we eat that, that inflammation kind of bioaccumulates in us. Right. So so. We want to think about what our food is eating if we're eating. Yeah, absolutely. Animals, right. So it's all of it. We're we're connected to this world, this planet that has, a you know, there's effects of the foods that we eat and the animals that were that are mass produced these days are actually not 
very healthy. And so we're actually bioaccumulating those um, inflammatory um, molecules in us when we ingest that. Yeah. It's hard to even talk about. Yeah. Um, my dad used to always say, you get out what you put in, meaning level of effort yeah. on the things that you do. He also said that about food. He said, whatever goes into your body is your body. Mm. So what you want to be starts with what you put in your mouth. And he said um, that I, he hopes that I get all my nutrients through food mm. and only food. You know, because there was a period of time where I was just stuffing myself with supplements. Mm -hmm. And and now I look at it, and fish oil being the number one supplement that I've had the longest in my body and thought the highest of, I feel like fish oil does not do anything. Because the sourcing of the fish oil not necessarily ever improved my skin. Um, I forget what all people use fish oil for. Have you heard similar things that fish oil just doesn't work? Yeah, there's a lot of I've 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 seen some things on both sides. You know, like again, it comes from the the sourcing. You know, right. but it's a pretty big question because we have to think about our fish, right? It yeah. actually makes you think of like how is the supplement being produced, and let's think about the fish industry, right? Let's think yeah. about the health of the fish population. You know, so it's... it's I'm it's, scared to source fish locally because yeah. of all the problems with the sewage and yeah. the homelessness and the drug runoff. And Yeah. Well, here's the way I like to think about food as medicine. This is really when it comes down to it because it's... To when you get the big perspective, it kind of helps you to relax around all of the, 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 the little pieces. And it's this. It's like... Food is like when when you are facing a world now, what, like we're facing today, with something like eighty thousand new chemicals on the market since nineteen fifty that are in the environment, Jeez. right? Like our bodies are constantly faced with a lot of challenges in the world, and how do we best protect our bodies? How do we best help our bodies? Well, let's think of it, if we go down to the cellular level, we already kind of talked about like, yeah, okay, we have 100 trillion, something like 100 trillion cells. Let's take it even deeper. Let's think about at the atomic level. At the atomic level, we have atoms in our body that make up our proteins, make up our cells, make up our DNA, right? At the atomic level, remember, like if you remember back to like, chemistry. We've got a proton, a neutron, and then you've got an electron circling that atom, right? At the atomic level, damage happens when an electron gets stolen from a from an atom, and then that atom becomes unstable, and it steals an electron from another. Um, you know, and that what that process is called is oxidation, right? So it's like, we know what oxidation is by looking at it because it's like rust, you know, on metal. Or if you cut an apple and the apple starts to turn brown, that's oxidation. Well, that oxidation process is happening constantly in our bodies through exposure to pollution and smoke and, you know, even in some of our normal digestion and all the chemicals that we have to, you know, process in the body. So there's microscopic or atomic level damage or instability that's being created. When you put in plants... In your body, when you put in lots and lots of plants, what you're putting in is something called antioxidants, 
So all antioxidants are are molecules that come and they donate an electron without becoming unstable. So that's what an antioxidant is. Plant and when people talk about a plant-based or predominantly plant-based diet, you're infusing your body with that those antioxidants that are basically going around stabilizing and repairing damage. Because when oxidation happens, it's like happening within your cells and it's disrupting your DNA and all that stuff. So antioxidants are going in and at the atomic level, I like to think of them as like microscopic little superheroes, right? Like going in philanthropic nonetheless superheroes because they're like donating all these electrons to my tissues, my organs, my cells, my enzymes that need that repair constantly because there's all that turnover that's constantly happening. And that's what the plants are. Are doing. There are thousands of antioxidants in different kinds of plants. And so you think about all the colors of a rainbow. When you have greens, they have certain types of antioxidants. The things like, you know, the purple cabbages have different kinds of antioxidants. Colored Yeah, all that stuff. It's going to have different antioxidants. And you're basically feeding your body with this repair, these natural repair um, enzymes, you know, natural repair um you know, all kinds of um, vitamins and minerals and polyphenols and flavonoids and all of these things are antioxidants for your body. And they also feed your own body's antioxidant machinery because your own body has the ability to repair it as well if you're feeding it appropriately. So it's our best defense against a world that is kind of filled with toxins. You know, right. so so to feed it properly, mostly plant based and plant-based. lots and lots and lots of plants. Give your stomach rest, right? Yeah, I, I try to do intermittent fasting. Do you fast at all? I every night. I think of fasting every single night. That's a yeah. good way to look at it because <laughs> yeah. we we think of breakfast. That's breaking fast, exactly. Right? Yeah. So. When you sleep, that's the easiest time to fast. Yeah. If you're not doing a whole day, um, I like to refer to the circadian clock type of method. Like if it's dark, yeah. probably shouldn't be eating. Yeah. Um, I have pancreas problems and I need my stomach to get past a certain 12 hour period so it can immediately rest. And it'll tell me when I need something, right? So I'm, I'm not really skipping breakfast. I'm, I'm delaying it. And I've seen all kinds of great benefits from that. Um, what are your thoughts about fasting? Yeah, I think I think our bodies are designed, like you said, to fast every night. And I think right now, like what oftentimes happens is we're up late, we're on the computer, we're snacking, we're still eating, you know, and like, and all of a sudden it's- Food's good at night. Right, it's 2 a.m., you know, and like, so our- Where'd pop- the ice cream go? Yeah, yeah. Our body hasn't had proper rest or the break in our- um, in our digestive you know, processes. And so constantly grazing or um, pushing our bodies to the point where, you know, we're, we're, we're stressing our digestive systems, I think is challenging and, and creates more stress in the body. So I think definitely allowing ourselves, you know, to have the, the, the full night without eating and then breaking the fast in the morning or whenever it feels right, you know, for, for different people have different needs. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of um, people talking about different kinds of fasting. And I think that um, it, 
there's not a right or wrong answer. It could be some people, it, it can help them. But for most of us, actually, our bodies are designed to eat about three times a day and to not eat at night. And and that I think having training your body, letting your body know that it's going to receive food, you know, during at a regular time helps your body be ready for that, that food and be prepared to digest it. And sometimes fasting can stress the body if, you know, you fast for days on end or, you know, whatnot, though. Um, so my, my feeling is like to try not to create extra stress in the body to feed the body when it needs to be fed, to to rebalance our metabolisms, to help to train our bodies to eat regularly and to not eat too much. Michael Pollan says it great. He says, eat plants. No, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. I yeah, love that. I right? saw a documentary with that guy. Oh, he's amazing. Just rec- yeah. Recently, and I thought he was very balanced and leveled yeah. in his approach. Yeah. And I, I like that phrase. You know, I think that I've seen now there's no right answer for everybody because I've seen other people have challenges, you know, around their their diets. And so you've got to find what's right for you. But for most of us, for most people, especially, you know, to reestablish metabolism and to help our bodies be fueled effectively, to have those meals where we actually feed ourselves a nice solid breakfast so that we get through the day, have enough protein early in the day so we don't get the sugar munchies at three o'clock, right? You know, so that feeding ourselves appropriately a good breakfast and a nice solid lunch so that your bodies are expecting, our bodies are expecting that. And then to not go overboard with with dinner so that you're not kind of giving yourself too much, your body too much to do at night and your body gets that proper rest time. That's ideal. Now, everybody, you know, people, some people have digestive challenges and they might need to eat smaller meals during the day. And I think that's why we really have to trust in your wisdom of your own body, right? Like get to know our own bodies. What does your body need? You know, and how do you meet that need? And and too too much today, we're like, oh, let me do this guy's thing and that guy's thing and this, you know, and as opposed to just like, what do I need? Like, let me listen in. And that's part of that mindfulness coming in. Let me li- listen in to what my body needs. Yeah. My body's talking to me now. I'm five minutes away from 14 hours. And yeah. My stomach's going, yeah. You're ready. What are you doing? <laughs> um, I want to throw out a, a variation of my fast five here. And I want you to tell me what's good or what's bad about the food that I say as quick as you can. Okay. Broccoli. Oh, cephalorophanes, totally anti-cancer. Awesome. Love it. What's bad about it? Can't think about much bad about broccoli. Take that, George Bush. (laughs) Um, Walnuts. Walnuts have excellent fatty acids. They're good for rebuilding our cells and structures. They're just fantastic. I'm getting no bad feedback from Walnut, I can't, you know, like it only if you have an allergy to it. Peanut butter. Um, peanut butter sometimes can be made with um, that trans fat, so you got to be really careful about the peanut butter that you choose. Um, but ground peanuts um, have a lot of protein, and and so that's good. The challenge with peanuts is that they, when they're being sourced, sometimes they can be um, mixed with something called aflatoxin, which is a mold, and so um, so that. 
just got to be a little cautious around peanuts, but good protein in peanuts. Almonds. I love them. Almonds are great. They, again, good fatty acids, good protein. Um, What about how they're processed? Yeah, anything, the processing is always the challenge, right, around a lot of our foods. But if we find foods that are clean, you know, well-processed, well-sourced, then I think almonds are great. Birthday cake. So this is always a challenge. I got two kids, right? Like I, I know, like you gotta have birthday cake sometimes. Yeah, like, that's about balance. I mean, yeah, a, a little all bit of crap balance. with a whole bunch of good stuff. Well, and that's that's exactly the way I like to try to think about it. Is like it's okay for your body to have some sugar, right? It's not like we can't have any. But the problem with birthday cakes nowadays is that oftentimes the ingredients that are used, especially in some commercial available cakes, may have things like those trans fats in them or, you know, like a lot of the food coloring things. And so I try to go with healthier choices, right? So you're using more natural ingredients and make something that's going to, sure, it's going to taste good and have sugar and, and, but you try to not A, eat it every day, only eat you know, a, a amount that's reasonable. Palm size. Yeah. And not football size. Not football size. And, uh, and, and, um, and try not to have it be filled with all that, that um, chemicals and artificial, you know, dyes and colorings and all that kind of stuff. Last one. And this is one that I go back and forth with soy. Yeah. There's a lot of people talk about soy, a lot, a lot of thoughts out there on soy. So, Soy comes from a bean, right? Like soy, they're... The legumes. The legumes. And I think that... And again, you can get into a lot of the cloudiness around people's thoughts on legumes in general. But... Hold on, hold on. Cloudiness about beans? Yeah, you know... Who doesn't like beans? There are people out there that are talking about, you know, lectins and phytic acid on beans as being toxic for the body. What? Yeah. So what that is, is the plants actually make things on their, like plants try to protect themselves from being eaten, right? Yeah. I want to get back to that after yeah. the soy, but that's a good conversation. So, but we'll get to your, we'll get to the soy. So like, so if a plant makes this, you know, protective, you know, chemical on itself so that, that things won't eat it. If you tried to eat a raw bean... Your stomach's going to hurt, right? You're not going to feel good. You get sick from it. But when we cook beans, we deactivate that to make it edible and to make it nutritious. And so I think that there's a lot of hype out there around. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. You know, so beans are actually incredibly healthy and they're very underused in our society. That's more of a, you know, meat and potatoes kind of society. So beans are fiber and they have protein and they have lots of, lots of them have antioxidants in them and, and fatty acids in them. And so it's a really valuable food. Soybeans and edamame, very healthy food. What's the difference between the two? So that's a great question. I don't know the exact difference. I think it's just the, the soybeans are, um, yeah. No. Soy, it has estrogen in it, right? Is that correct? Yeah. And is it different for men versus women, the intake of soy? 
Because I have heard that men should limit the amount of soy that they have. So, yeah, I love that question because um, I've asked that that exact question to some of the food experts that are out there, you know, and including Michael Greger and Dean Ornish. I'm like, what is this deal with soy? And so the way that I like to think about it is this. is like, yeah, there's a little bit of phytoestrogens, a plant-based estrogen in soy, but it's teeny compared to the mammalian estrogens that are pumped out in milk. All right, so think about the difference. It's like, it's nothing compared to it. These are these phytoestrogens are are um, not um, not even on the scale. Um, so when when we think about is soy good or is soy bad, I think the whole food, the soybeans, the edamame, you know, those, and and even minimally processed things like tofu can be as long as you know it's organic and good um, quality can be very helpful. Soy isolates that are used in processed foods are not so healthy. So that's kind of the difference. You know? So give an example of that. So um, like a lot of processed foods have, um, you know, different um, ingredients that are sort of added to them. Right, and that's that's some of the soy isolates is, is as opposed to the whole food. It's like that's how I like to break it down. The, the whole food is healthy, whereas like the the isolates, the the soy isolates that are kind of put into the packaged foods or the processed foods, that can sometimes trigger a problem. And then of course, it's different for anybody who has an allergy. An allergy to something is different. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things that came to my mind while while you were talking there. Lentils, I heard seventy percent of them are seventy percent of a lentil is a carb and that turns into a sugar, and that there's very minimal protein. And I always had heard that lentils were a great thing to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you know about lentils? Yeah, so le- so lentils do they have there's carbohydrate and there's protein, you know, in lentils. And yeah, our body will break down. Carbohydrates are basically sugar. Right. It's just the more yeah, there's comp- carbs in an apple. Right? right. Right. Absolutely. You know, so a lentil has both the protein and it has actually a pretty good supply of protein as well as um, carbohydrate. And so it what it also does is a complex carbohydrate, though. So when our bodies are breaking down a complex carbohydrate, it actually helps our, regulate our metabolism as opposed to when we're feeding our body a simple sugar that actually spikes you know, our, our That's a simple glucose. carb. Yeah, like a simple carb is a simple sugar. You know, like even glucose or candy, or, you know, that's that's a carbohydrate. It's just a simple sugar. You know, so the, the difference is, is one of them is going to help to have a regular balanced metabolism and the other one's going to spike our metabolism. You know, so and and so lentils actually have are are very healthful, and they they can actually help you regulate your metabolism, and have been shown to be um, helpful, or even for people with uh, meta- metabolic problems like diabetes, helping to balance the blood glucose because of the way your body responds to the digestion of that complex carbohydrate in the lentil bean. Let's talk about milk. Um, we we're talking about soy, and soy milk is. One of the more popular ones, there's a lot of lactose intolerant um, people. There's goat milk, there's almond milk, there's this coconut milk, mm-hmm. um, hemp mm-hmm. milk. Mm-hmm. The regular milk that you get from the big dairy seems to be 
kind of marketed in a way that always keeps it kind of the lost leader in a grocery store that's cheap. There's so much back promotion that, you know, milk, it does your body good, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the calcium ads and stuff like that. It seems like a huge farce because there's so much crap in those cows. How do you feel about these other milks? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, I gave up soy because I felt like soy milk was going to turn me into a woman. I don't, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, the coconut milk seemed to be a little fatty and too sweet for me. Mm. Um, the hemp milk is good, uh, but I prefer almond milk. The almond industry is just taxing the water system in California. And, you know, I, I love almonds, but there's a huge process to get the almonds to the, to the table where you're actually going to eat them. And now this huge stress of the almond industry making the almond milk. Where do you see all that going? So question on milk and question on the, the sourcing, right? Like of Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, what What should I be drinking? What should we drink? What kind of milk Tell should me, we Joanne. drink? Yeah. You know, I think um what we know about milk milk, you know, it's like People have been drinking animal milk for a long time. Yeah, we're the right? only society that weans our kid by two off the mom's teat to go find some foreign animal to give us milk for the rest of our lives again. I don't really feel like milk is something the body needs. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's like, again, it's like, well, some people get, you know, don't have a problem with, with milk, right? But we're finding now that a lot of people, that milk is contributing to inflammation in a lot of people. And inflammation is the biggest accelerator of any type of disease, correct? Um, it, all diseases are a little bit different, but inflammation can contribute to a lot of different diseases. So inflammation in our blood vessels is cardiovascular disease. Inflammation in our um Joints is, you know, arthritis kind of disease. So it's inflammation can be look a lot of different ways. And where does inflammation come from? It comes from our own body's immune system response. Our own immune response is mounting some kind of a attack. Defense, yeah. A defense, right? What we're seeing now is that, and what we know is that in our intestines, we have a huge army of white blood cells that are standing by just sitting there ready. In fact, 70% of our white blood cells in our body reside in our intestines. They're sitting there waiting to say, is this a friend or a foe coming in? Because if you think about it, right, we're taking a lot of the environment into our body. Yeah, and our, every and our, breath. Every, right, every breath, but also every meal. Mm -hmm. And so our bodies are, have to say, is this okay? Should I let it in? Or is it poison? Or is it you know, an infection or whatever. So our white blood cells are there to defend us. Well, now, why all of a sudden are people developing so many allergies, so many autoimmune illnesses, so many inflammatory types of conditions? So there seems to be some kind of a breakdown happening in our digestive system that's causing our immune systems to go on this rampage, right? So when we come, when we come back to the question of milk, is there something going on with what those what the animals are being fed that's causing inflammatory response? Is there something going on in the pasteurization of milk, perhaps, that's causing you know the body to, to not be happy with what's coming in anymore? Is it actually the breakdown in our own microbiome 
that now is allowing kind of a leakiness in our intestines so that our immune systems are recognizing more. All of those questions are probably part of the big picture of why there's so much inflammation happening to certain foods like milk and like gluten. You know, there's a lot of gluten-free craze, you know, that's, that's you know, very popular now too. So we have to think about there's a big picture going on. And when we, when, we, when we focus just on the idea of like what's, you know, is milk bad and should I not have it? Well, the, the answer to that is some people seem to ha- not have the inflammatory response to it, whereas others do. And, you know, so there's going to be some individual, individual um, um, decisions that are going to need to be made around that. But if we telescope that out a little bit bigger, the, the food industry itself, we need to be thinking like you've said about what's going into how the animals are being raised and what the what's we're doing to the food that they're eating and all of that. So, um, so what do you drink? That's that's the question that you ask. Like, what do I drink? You know, how what what kind of those milks do you choose from? One is like a lot of the alternative milks that are on the market today can be filled with sugar. So you want to look for one that's low in sugar. That's not like it's unsweetened or hasn't added that added sugar to it. So that's Yeah, unsweetened for yeah, sure. That's that's one of the things I look for. Or I think about, you know, making my own almond milk or my own cashew milk, you know, because it's actually pretty easy to do. So that's another thought. You mentioned the idea about almonds and sourcing of almonds. That idea is around every food that we come in, right? Like there's all, we should be thinking about that for all of our food, even our produce. Where's it coming from? How are we growing this food? Is this food being sprayed with pesticides or is it being sustainably raised? That's where that whole big mindfulness piece comes in again. How are we treating our bodies? How are we treating our food? How are we treating our planet? That's yeah. how big the 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 question is. Yeah, right? it's, it's it's mind blowing. Like, I was in the grocery store yesterday, and there's shrimp, identical count, side by side. One was wild caught, and the other was a five dollar special. The wild caught caught was fifteen dollars for the same amount of shrimp as the other. And I remember hearing about um, the Cambodians being fenced in on these islands and people just dropping the, sh- the shrimp off and getting deveined and them selling it to major establishments like mm-hmm. Albertsons and Safeway. Mm-hmm. And it's basically slavery. Yeah. No, it's definitely slavery. And that shrimp, you know, I used to eat it all the time, cocktail shrimp, yeah. and just love it. And then I was like, no, I can't have this ever. And now I have this $15 choice that's that I know is sourced legally and in the right ways, um, but that's a huge jump in price. You know, it's so much more. But I wouldn't think of it like that if I only had the properly sourced shrimp that was fifteen dollars, and that five dollar shrimp wasn't there. Mm-hmm. It would be out of my mind. Right. So I have to make a decision there. I I'm voting. When I walk into you the are, grocery store, absolutely every single five dollars or fifteen. No, I'm going to pay the fifteen if I want this because I know the sourcing is proper. Yeah, and do I even walk into that store because I know they're selling slave marketed shrimp and prawns? You know. Yeah, yeah. 
it's so a big, tough. it's big, Tim. I mean, the thing is, though, it's so big that it can be, it can feel paralyzing. And we have to remember that, like that stress. If we get ourselves all stressed out, oh my God, yeah, what am I going to? Then you get in your head, and you're stressing your body, and that that's not helping anything. What we have to all realize is that we live in a challenging world today, and we're doing. If you are mindfully aware of what you're doing and what you're consuming, and trying to do the best you can. You're probably not going to be able to do perfect, but we do the best we can. We're making the choices. We're learning. We're trying to be informed. We're trying to make to buy the the produce that our farmers are using. Good practices. We're trying, and that's what I keep coming back to. Is like, no, I'm not a perfect eater, and I don't make all the perfect choices, but I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing in this what feels sometimes like a mad world right you know we're doing the and and that i think the more of us that wake up to it the more of us that pay attention to it the more of those good choices that we're going to have and that's going to be the best chance of giving our kids the kind of future that we want to give them because if we just keep going mindlessly consuming you know products like you're talking you know like the, the the shrimp for example or whatever you know that that are unsustainably raised that are that are treated poorly that are that are thrown chemicals into the environment all that stuff if we keep doing that then we're keep contributing to the problem yeah and i think that milk industry is that exactly when you turn around the milk carton it doesn't just say milk and water in there there's a list of ingredients and it's added it's fortified those dairy farmers the bovine industry Cows are getting disease, mad cow disease, various things. They're in horrible conditions. They die, and they just throw them in a pile, and then they ground it up. And the feces that the cows have in those small areas and that ground-up meal, they call it they call it meal, whether it be chicken meal or beef meal or whatever, that all goes into the, the corn industry, and they make this horrified corn that you and I could not even eat. And then they feed it back to the cows. So the cows are eating the disease, they're eating the feces, and they're eating this corn. Well, a cow's a vegetarian, and and most most animals are vegetarian. Um, So why aren't they getting, putting into their bodies what we need to get out of their bodies when we eat them? I don't eat meat. I'm going way far away from fish lately, too. But I wouldn't be opposed to wild game because i know they're eating correctly and then i look at look at pigs everybody seems to have a bacon fetish and these wild boars are running around and they are invasive and they're 500 600 pounds and they're multiplying like crazy you know if we eradicate those pigs isn't that enough pork for everybody to have Mm. that we don't have to stack pigs on top of each other i was reading something about trader joe's and they're um pork industry and the and the poor habits that they're they're getting their pigs from yesterday yeah. i didn't dive into that one too much but these are all i mean all of this is like it can actually feel overwhelming and it so is. It, i mean i, I feel know. like i could talk to you for 10 hours and and i would relieve so much stress <laughs> off my yeah off my chest just having somebody that is like-minded that is willing to listen and talk yeah. about it yeah because where we source, the choices that we make, we vote with our feet. We vote when we, we, where we eat. Yeah. You know, yeah. why do we just look at that plate and say, oh, yeah, that looks yeah. good. I have no idea how that plate got to me. Right. right? And that and that is the power of mindfulness. 
I mean, truly, it's like when we wake up, when we wake up really to what is going on without, you know, like we don't want to go down that fear and chaos route just, right? Because then we can get paralyzed or we can, you know, but we want to just say, how do I want to choose to live in this world today? How do I want to raise my kids? And we try to do the best we can. And to me, when I choose plants that are that are sustainably grown you know predominantly organic or locally sourced that are that taking care to think about what's going into the soil then I'm making choices that I can feel good about right I'm making choice and and yeah like I'm still getting in a car and driving and making you know that um, yeah. you know so like right so it's big it's big and we live in this world today where we're like we have to wake up to these things these challenges and we have to do the best that we can and we have to start coming together around it because you know it's it's too big it's too big to try to take on on our on our own and I don't have all the right answers and I'm, and I'm pretty sure nobody out there has all the right answers but when when we bring the knowledge that I have together with you know, the knowledge that, that you have, and we start to say, well, what if we created, you know, solutions that could look like this? Or what if we helped to teach our kids about this? Then we start to, to get somewhere, you know? Yeah, we need to find a tipping point that we can all come across and, and move everybody in the same direction. And then these other choices that people are making, these mindless choices, yeah. they're going to become obsolete. Yeah. And I think it starts with your local CSA um, homesteading more, taking mass transit instead of your car everywhere, walking. Um, I have a herb garden right outside the kitchen. I have a pea patch. I enjoy seeing people use CSAs. Yeah. I belong to a garden swap Yeah. where if you had six zucchinis and I had five tomatoes, we just trade. Yeah. And what's great about that is we're also trading the plants. So if there's not a plant that you currently grow you can share that and I, I like that type of idea yeah yeah I mean and that's the kind of thing is like trying to create a better world right you know I mean I think about ever since I had kids I started thinking about that you know it's like how am I gonna help to give them a better world right I mean sometimes it can feel overwhelming but these kind of choices making these kind of choices around what is the food I'm gonna put in my body it starts with us it starts with what we do and it starts with our own health, our own wellness, our own families, our own communities. I mean, that's how we grow this. I, I feel like it has to be habitual. Alzheimer's, you know, there's there's a certain diet that you could help your brain. You know, like walnuts are, are shaped like a brain. Mm -hmm. That's brain food, mm -hmm. right? Beans are, they talk about if you could just replace meat one day a week with a bean dish, and do that constantly, just once a week. Mm -hmm. Then the habit starts forming. Mm -hmm. Trust me, there's times where somebody will order a steak and I'll smell that and I'll just be like, oh, what am I missing? Why am I doing this? I feel horrible. Give me some meat. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's okay just say, yeah, I'll just have this, mm -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. But it's a constant struggle in the choices that we make. And mm -hmm. if we don't make the habits, we never get to that tipping point to change right. how we eat. Yeah. And I also think part of it, too, is about reaching for it as opposed to running away from something or, or reacting out of fear. That's a fear-based mentality. Right? Yeah. But react because like, I, I know in my own health um, recovery, 
my own, you know, recovery from my own health challenges. It was when I, when I, you know, oh, I can't eat that. Oh, I can't do that. And all of that, like, was creating so much stress in my body that I think I might have been undoing some of the good I was trying to do with the food I was trying to eat. So I really started to shift that around what food can I fall in love with, actually? And, and when I think of it like that, it's like, I can, I can love this, you know, beautiful apple, for example, or this, you know, food that's grown directly from nature, you know, and I think about, I could actually love this planet, you know, right? And that is an expression of that energy, as opposed to like, I can't do that, and I can't do that, and what about this? And, you know, because the one makes it easy and effortless, having it, me reaching for that, out of that that affinity or that love or that trying to do something good. And now, as opposed to like, I'm denying myself something. So I think partly when we wake ah, up, do you know what I mean? When yeah, we wake, mind shift. It's a sure. mind shift. When we wake up to the idea of like, yeah, I want to care for this precious gift of a body and my family and like this planet that we live on. When we wake up and have that as our driving force it's a totally different energy than oh poor me i can't have ice cream missing bacon you know or whatever right again. right right you know it's like that doesn't even come up in my consciousness no, i can anymore. have oatmeal today yeah, yeah or, awesome right or like i love berries right like berries are awesome and like berries. i'm so lucky we live in this pacific northwest where we have like amazing fruit and berries like we're so lucky and then it's easy and it's easy. It's it's a to- it's a shift that that allows my body to relax into what I'm doing and have it infused with feeling good as opposed to like yeah, I struggle on the big issues of of what's going on in the world for sure, you know, but I try to align myself the best I can every day and that's all I can do, you know. Yeah, I'm in a bubble. I'm John Travolta. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in this big world of ours. Mm. Hey, um, probiotics. Yeah. Um, I used to eat a ton of yogurt. Is there harmful probiotics? So probiotics, um, part of the issue with, you know, what our body needs is we we talked a little bit about what makes up your body is 100 trillion cells. You have 10 times that many organisms living in your intestines right now. 10 times that many. Wow. Yeah. So, right. So, a crowded body. Yeah. So, like, think about it. You have more DNA that you're walking around with that is microorganism DNA than your own in your body. And they still couldn't bust OJ. (laughs) (laughs) What's up with that? So, so probiotics. So, if we think about the trillions of organisms that live, we need them to be healthy. This good, organisms in our body. They actually help us digest our food. They help us make part of the neurochemicals, you know, for our, you know, like serotonin and for our brains, you know, so they actually do a lot of really good things for our health. So there's a big, big, big discussion now about how this is one of the new waves of of the future of medicine is reestablishing the health of our what's called microbiome. And part of that has been all these probiotics. Well, you just Take more of them. Just take more supplements that have good microorganisms, and you should be able to recolonize the good microorganisms in your body. The challenge with that is a couple of things. Is that one, and probiotics can be helpful 
but I think of them more like tourists in the body as opposed to the residents, right? Does your body not make probiotics on its own? It doesn't make them because they're microorganisms. These are own live organisms that you get in your body through what you're ingesting, right? As well as like when you're born and you, you know, we're breastfed and you get you get infused with microorganisms in that way. And so we are we don't make them, but those microorganisms are reproducing like a colony. Like so they actually make more of each other in there. As long as you have enough good ones. The problem nowadays is that there's something called dysbiosis, where a lot of the good citizens of our intestines have been kind of withered away, and we've got some bad players, some bad organisms that are growing, and then people's balance gets off. So people take probiotics to try to put more good guys in, right? But the without a fundamental shift in our diets, the probiotics are kind of like putting a little bit of fertilizer in a garden full of weeds, really. Wow. Is is that you're like not necessarily changing the whole colony. In order to change the whole colony, you really want to shift what you're eating. That's the biggest way to do it because the bad bacteria love sugar and processed food and you know the the good bacteria love fiber and plants. So if you want to grow more good guys, you starve out the bad guys. And that's part of like coming off of, you know, the processed foods and the sugars as you're starving out the bad bacteria. But there are some people that have such bad dysbiosis that taking probiotics does help you to rebuild your good colonies, as well as eating probiotic-rich foods, which is probably the best way to do it, is, you know, things like the sauerkrauts and the, you know, the the pickles that are Goldstein. fermented. Yeah, you know, and things, you know, like... Um, you know, coconut kefirs and, you know, kimchi, kimchis and all of that stuff. So that's all you're con- you're reestablishing your um, your good bacteria. What do you think makes these food fads so strong? Like gut floral and probiotics is so prevalent right now yeah. and, and in your face all the time. And before that, I think it was um, cooking with coconut oil. Yeah. You know, it's always something. They're always pushing and marketing and this is some, something I hate about pet food Yeah, you look at the pet food and there's this super happy dog and it's raining fresh fish and vegetables and root vegetables and the dog couldn't be happier and that is marketing on the back of it you'll see roadkill is the main ingredient basically uh, Yeah, and you see how food is marketed you know their tomatoes were poisonous for a hundred years because somebody told somebody and that was the case forever. Um, put sugar on your cereal back. I remember that as a kid, we had a sugar bowl mm-hmm. on our table. Would you like one scoop or two scoops? Mm-hmm. You know, the, this is a little off track, but you know, the camel cigarettes for a long time, they put a cartoon on the cigarette pack. Mm-hmm. There's just these ways that it's infiltrating our brain. What, what tipped us on this probiotic probiotic thing, right? recently well i think what the science is showing us that like our body we need to tend to our own microbiome like our and and so there's a lot of evidence that says yes we need to do something about this because that's part of what's contributing to um a lot of 
um, illnesses, especially GI illnesses, gastrointestinal illnesses, or autoimmune disease So, and allergies. And so we know that, but the answer isn't just to take a pill or a supplement right. for it, though that it can be helpful. And I'm not anti-probiotics in any way, but it's only a piece of a bigger puzzle. The bigger puzzle is, well, how do we eat? you know, more foods that are going to feed the good ones. How do we grow? Where do we get our probiotics? Really is from the soil of the foods that we're eating. So the soil, we got to grow food in good soil. And Absolutely. The food is more densely rich yeah. based on the soil. Yeah. So yeah. if you want good vegetables, you, you take care of the soil. You take care of the soil. So the part, of the, part of the problem with our food industry now is that we're not taking care of our soil. Right. And that's greenhouse, coconut fibers. You know. Yeah. And that's part of part of what's going on with the probiotic craze that you're hearing about is that people are like, well, let me just take some pills and then I can you temporarily fix it. Just like the idea of having tourists come and affect your economy of your body. It's like it helps. But the bigger the bigger question is, how do we actually make sure we're taking care of our soil? So Long we're term. Going, yeah, we're growing better vegetables that are having those microorganisms in it so that we're taking it in with our food. That's the bigger question, you know, and, and um, so I'm not anti-probiotics and I think it does serve a purpose and it does help people reestablish. Most of us these days have a, um, some degree of imbalance in our own microorganisms. If you go, if you go to a room of a thousand people and you ask people to raise their hands if they've never taken antibiotics, you probably get about two people to raise their hands, right? Like most of us these days have had at least a course, if not multiple courses of antibiotics. And what's happening there is that we're actually killing off some of the good microorganisms in our intestines as well. Um, and as well as you know, things that are happening in our food. So we have to think about the good, regrowing these good microorganisms, right? And, and uh, so probiotics, there are craze, partly because there is science behind it, but it's only a piece of a much more complex puzzle. And oftentimes people were too, you know, maybe too busy to think about the big picture or they don't understand the big picture or they just have, you know, other things that they're focusing on. And so, okay, well, let me just take the probiotic. At least I'm doing something then. And so it's a piece, it's a step in the right direction is the way I look at it, but it's only a piece of a, a much more complex issue. Yeah, well said. Uh, one more thing before I start talking about what you're doing right now. Um, animal cruelty is in the forefront of my mind a lot. Um, I don't think Americans eat like dogs and cats because they got a cute face and they're cuddly and all that. But for the most part, animals are all um, feeling, living Beings. Beings, mm -hmm. yes. And I want to quit killing animals in a, yeah. in a lot of ways. I, I understand, you know, the rats might take over the world here someday, and I, I could get rid of a few of those. Um, consciously, there's invasive species, both plant and animals, all over the world. And we, we should deal with that accordingly. Um, where am I trying to thought here? Oh, Animals. Animals have feelings. Now I've learned that plants may have feelings mm -hmm. and that they have this communication system. And I, you touched on it earlier and I was thinking about it. Mushrooms um, 
get involved with the root structure of trees and they can communicate plants their root system underneath the ground can communicate so like if there's a predator that starts to eat a certain plant that plant will give information through its root system underground to the other plants so they can basically change the DNA inside the plant so it tastes different for those animals so those animals that are starting to eat a certain grip of plants at one end don't continue to wipe out the whole crop because the crop is communicated and then changed the way they taste just to preserve it. Secondly, if a plant gets diseased, it will sever those contacts through the root system with other plants so it doesn't infect the whole crop system. Isn't that fascinating? I love all this. I love it because it's like, Yeah, but wow, I don't want to pull my right? broccoli out and hear it scream. No, <laughs> yeah, no. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm getting these visualizations of it. Um, tell me more about what you know about that. Well, I'll tell you, I know that we need to eat, right? Yes. Like, I know that we need to eat, and I know that life, you know, all life is is has value, right? All life has value. And that we have, um, you know, choices that we're going to make that, that I think um, are part of the web of life that we live in. And, um, and... You know, I'm not entirely vegan, or, or but I tend to eat mostly plants because I find that it um, not only sustains my body, but also it feels like the most um, um, sustainable choice to make, right, for, for the planet. Um, I don't know a lot about the, the other, you know, communications that the plants are making but I think it's fascinating and I and I and I pull in for me I pull in a lot of gratitude and awe because I'm in awe of things like that it's like wow we live in an amazing on an amazing planet and we're just a piece of it we're just a part of it but we're a part of a whole and and uh, just like the plants are it's like think of you know I think of when you were talking about that made it brought up to me it's like wow like we communicate with each other in ways that are like that, right? Because we're part of an ecosystem of humans and in living in a way that we actually wake up to the wonder of it helps us to make choices that maintain the integrity of it. And that, that's, I guess, what my response to be of, would be to you is like, look, we have to eat. We have to sustain our bodies. We have to sustain our communities and the planet as best as we can. But we can't keep doing it by trashing the planet. We can't keep doing it by, you know, through greed and, you know, abuse. We have to think of a better way. We have to start thinking of a better way. Well, I love what you're doing now. Um, instead of pulling pencils out of kids' nose in, in the ER, <laughs> hey, that has a place too, though, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. <sighs> but that place is left to Jeff, right? Yeah. Let him do that. Um, tell me what you're doing here at Dayalu, and um, how people can get in contact with you, and what you provide 
in your new business? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, so what I've been doing is really focusing on how to help empower people around their wellness. And in specific, I've been doing some food as medicine programs, workshops, where we'll take three hours as a group and we'll go through, you know, some of um, what I've included in a food as medicine book where we'll look at, well, how do I, how do I have a balanced diet? How do I get enough protein? How do I do it in a way that pumps my body with all of those antioxidants that help me defend myself against, you know, those, the, the onslaught of things that I face in the environment. Like, so I do that is, is a part of a workshop. And, um, and then I do a live food demo as part of it, because my goal is to have it be easy and fun and full of joy. And so that we can trust our food and trust our bodies again and find balance again. So how do we actually bring it to the table? How do I actually be able to walk into my house and not know what I'm going to have for dinner, but be able to know I can nourish myself by the foods that I'm stocking up. And so that I, I bring that into the workshop form where we actually make a superfood meal together with so that you know how to make it within less than 10 minutes. And, and that's part of the workshop. And I've been doing that about once a month. And I won't be doing one in December just with the holidays, but in 2018, I'm going to be doing them monthly. And then I also do wellness workshops to um, to focus on mindfulness, focus on helping to rebalance the body, rebalance the nervous system, um, to promote greater healing and recovery in the body, and to protect yourself from stress. And so those are the, the workshops that I've been doing. And I do also work with people one-on-one -on -one who maybe can't get to a workshop or or prefer to do things one-on-one -on -one and not in a group. Um, so I offer those two ways of looking at it. And so it's not disease um, treatment so much as it is skills to help cultivate wellness in your body. And so it's getting those skills. And you're doing those at Dayalu? Yeah, at Dayalu, which is lovely. Um, you know, it has the yoga classes that are there and some mindfulness-based stress reduction classes that are wonderful and uh, meditation classes. And so it's a really lovely space and we have a kitchen. And we have... Are you guys still cooking out of that kitchen? Well, yeah, like uh, we have a, a, a new chef that's there. Um, Somebody used to just make the best food um, out of there, like out... Of the back door or whatever. I think it probably you're, you may be thinking of Suki Kitchen, Nancy and Stephanie, that who are still on the island. They do um, they do personal uh, their personal chefs for people who are looking for someone to help make meals for them that are plant based. They're amazing. They're amazing. I love them. And um, and now we have at Dayalu we have Ian who is um, wonderful chef who is making food again where you can come and and get hummus and you know salads and some soups and um, and you know also helping with the food as medicine program and so there's food available which is great too and that's why and that's why I like it it's it's not a clinical setting um, which is you know where the hospital where is that it's more of a wellness setting, which is um, what I think we need to have more of in the world. So, And how can people get a hold of you? So they can reach me. The best way probably is, is through my website. I have um, a website that's called Nurture Healing. It's um, www.nurture. Nobody says that anymore. I Try know. again. Yeah, <laughs> they don't, do they? Why don't they do that? So it's Nurture, um, N-U-R-T-U-R-E. H-E-A-L-I-N-G dot O-R-G. 
And in fact, I have the Food as Medicine book that I put together um, where you can get it for free, an online version of it um, for free. Um, if you visit my the website, there's a way to, to, to have that with lots of recipes and information on food. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. It's, it's an easy read and it's a reinforcement of great practices. Um, nurturehealing.org, everybody out there at Dayalu. What street's that? Um, just Wyatt. Madison, it's Madison, yeah. Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I had done some family yoga there, and uh, mm-hmm. really nice space. Really nice. Really space. sweet. They have kids yoga too. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we did it as a family, and it was, my son has never laughed harder. At, look at me. Look at Dad trying to get in those poses. Nice. He was just like, "Come on, it's easy," and he had no concept of what the pose was, but he loved just ripping Seeing on you. me. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. What? Um, anything coming up the pipe? Um, shortly with this what is your intent with this are you just going to have a small practice here on the island and spread the word or are you trying to do more books more seminars yeah you know i think that would be um i i love having the the workshops here on island but i'm getting requests from people who don't live nearby to do some online ones and so doing an online food demo an online workshop an online protect your body from stress um so i'm looking at that as well as um putting together really like to put together a resource for people on how to make quick easy nutritious superfood meals in short periods of time give me one of your go-to superfood meals oh i love so my favorite the thing that i that i go to a lot is you know which don't don't worry because it does have don't the say word, quinoa. it does have the word quinoa in it. <laughs> um, but what I like to do is I like to make a superfood bowl, and so I'll take usually what I have in in the kitchen, and I try to include a few. Um, basic foods. So one, I'll just put some greens in there. So if I've got spinach, that's what I'll use. If I have microgreens, that's what I'll use. But I'll take my greens, I'll mix a little quinoa in there, I'll put some chickpeas in it. And then um, I usually like to add some vegetables. So if I have some leftover vegetables, some broccoli or some carrots, or I really love it with roasted um, sweet potatoes, and I'll mix that in. And then I'll add in a um, little bit of um, uh, roasted pumpkin seeds, which add a little, uh, also add protein as well as some What's really the difference nice... between pumpkin seeds and papetas? Papitas. Papitas. Yeah, I think it's papitas and pumpkins. I think they're the same thing. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure. Stick to one name here. I don't know. Mommy soy. I know. And also, I think, uh, but I think papitas, isn't that the Spanish for pumpkin seeds? I'm asking you. I don't know, but I think <laughs> it is. I think it might be. It, 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 I should know that, but I think it's. Um, I think it's Spanish for pumpkin seed. But I put the, a little bit of seeds on it, and then I put a balsamic vinegar and a little bit of olive oil because everything that I just mentioned, oh, and I forgot purple cabbage. You put a little bit of purple cabbage on it. Everything there is a superfood. And when I put all that together, I've got my complete protein. I've got massive amounts of antioxidants and vitamins you know, that I'm getting from my meal. And, uh, and it sustains me because there's nothing worse than like eating a really healthy meal and then being hungry in an hour. Hate that. So this actually sustains me so that I'm like, I'm good to go until dinner. I do that for lunch all the time. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in today. I really appreciate talking to you. And I hope you'll come back because I have a hundred more questions for you. And I'd love to talk to you again. Have a great holiday season. Thank you. And thanks for coming on to The Bystander. Joanna. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you.